This episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast is sponsored in part by Law Enforcement Labor Services in Minnesota. Law Enforcement Labor Services, also known as LELS, is Minnesota's largest public safety labor union with over 7,000 Minnesota public safety members serving in all areas of public safety. Law enforcement, 911 dispatch centers, corrections, public safety administrative support personnel, and firefighters. Established in 1977, LELS serves over 260 different public safety agencies and over 450 locals across the state of Minnesota. With their administration, general counsel, three staff attorneys, and 14 business agents, LELS provides contract negotiations for better wages and benefits, grievance processing and representation, discipline representation, mediation and arbitration, assistance with representation for post-board hearings, and in-line-of-duty death benefits for survivor families. Find out more about Law Enforcement Labor Services at LELS.org. LELS.org. Episodes of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast may contain strong language and violent content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Scott Rose. I'm currently the sheriff with the Dodge County Sheriff's Office in Southeast Minnesota. And I'm your host for today's new episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. In each episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast, we'll share the details and the stories of how these men and women heroically lost their lives in the line of duty. Our mission is to help ensure their service and their sacrifice is never forgotten. Thanks for spending some time with me today to remember and honor these fallen heroes. It was an early Saturday morning in April, 43 degrees, light winds out of the south, a beautiful start to the weekend in southeast Minnesota. Temperatures expected to be around 70 degrees that afternoon. It was Jimmy Carter's first year as our 39th president of the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, war may sometimes be a necessary evil, but no matter how necessary, it is always evil, never a good. We will not learn how to live together in peace by killing each other's children. George Lucas released what would quickly become a worldwide pop culture phenomenon. The movie, Star Wars. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. And a new company called Apple Computer released the Apple II, one of the world's first and most successful mass-produced home computers. From high technology, the computer store. Introducing Apple II, the easy-to-operate home computer. Just hook it up to your TV to create dazzling color displays. The year was 1977. The city of Hayfield, about 26 miles west of Rochester, was home to around 1,000 people. This small farming community was incorporated back in 1896 and quickly grew as a railroad stop for the Chicago Great Western Railroad, 
who extended their commuter route through Hayfield down into Manly, Iowa, and then back to Minnesota. Once the railroad left, things slowed down in Hayfield, and it evolved into a quaint and quiet farming community in the southern part of Dodge County, Minnesota. Dodge County was home to Hayfield and five other small rural communities. Back then, each city in the county, with populations ranging from 300 to 3,000, had their own police department, and the county was patrolled by the Dodge County Sheriff's Office under the leadership of Sheriff Ernest J. Vanderhyde. The police chief in Hayfield was 43-year-old Douglas Eugene Clausen. Doug had worked in law enforcement throughout the county since 1974. In addition to working for the city of Hayfield, he had worked as a part-time deputy for the Dodge County Sheriff's Office, Claremont Police Department, and the Manterville Police Department. Back then, each city typically had a full-time police chief, then part-time officers to help fill shifts when the chief was off duty. So it wasn't uncommon for officers to work at multiple agencies in this small rural county. Doug had just moved to Hayfield that year with his family. Kathy, his wife, his sons Bill and Mark, and his daughter Jean. CB radios were a big thing back then, and Doug's radio handle was Tinker. So Tinker was a CB handle, and he had that even when we lived in Manorville. So that was that's when everybody had the CBs, and that's how they talked. That was the pre-cell phones, I suppose. Doug loved being an officer. He took great pride in his role in helping make his community a little better place, a little safer place for folks to raise their families and their kids in. He was super, super proud to be a deputy. I mean, he worked very, very hard for it. And it wasn't always just like a, a straight road from here to there. I mean, he, he studied at night and things like that. And he worked multiple jobs. And he was really, really, really proud of himself when he got to that point where he was an officer. I mean, it was dream come true kind of thing for him. He was the type of cop that enjoyed building relationships within the community, working to build the community's trust in him. He'd rather give you a warning and a second chance versus always writing tickets. He was fair. He had the gift of gab. He had a great sense of humor, and he was loved by many in that community. Gary Thompson is a retired sheriff from Dodge County. They kind of call him the uh, epitome of a community policing officer, you know, before community policing was really cool. You know, people would come to Doug, you know, and ask him questions. You know, it didn't make any difference if it was, you know, personal questions that they had or whether it was law enforcement related or something. But he just had a fantastic rapport with the community down there. Kurt Utpadal retired as the chief investigator from the sheriff's office and was a deputy back then. He was just easy to get along with. And I think a lot of the people down in Hayfield uh, really liked that aspect of it. Mark Lamphere was also a deputy at the sheriff's office. He was likable. He liked to crack jokes. He liked to have fun. And yet he could be serious. You know, so he was he was an all-around guy. And... Uh, it was just, he was a good friend. During that period of time, where cities typically had only one full-time officer, it was difficult to provide good coverage in these communities. More often than not, the bad guys knew when the cops were working and when they were not. The sheriff's office was promoting the idea of contracting with them for better services, better coverage, fixed rates, and the occasional visit from the county deputies during off hours to detour the bad guys. Doug recognized that this would be a huge benefit to his city 
and worked with the sheriff's office to help promote this idea with the city board. The city of Manorville was also looking at the idea of contract. Back in uh, December of 77, that's when the, the county took on the city of Hayfield and the city of Manorville for policing contracts. So as a result of that, Mark Lampier, myself, and Doug were, were hired to work uh, those cities. Kathy Clausen was Doug's wife. July 1st of 77, they signed the contract, but they would only sign it if we moved to Hayfield. He came home and said, we're moving. I said, okay. Kathy was also serving in law enforcement with the Dodge County Sheriff's Office. The Hayfield Police Department was actually under the bar. It was in the basement of the municipal liquor store owned by the city of Hayfield. You know, where they'd go in there and they'd drink and then Doug would park outside a lot of times and give them a ride home because they knew they says you can have your keys in the morning, but you're not driving now. Doug was often able to keep a pulse on what was going on in the city while sitting on the hood of his squad car in front of the bar. And you know what he would do on the squad car? Mostly when the weather was decent, he'd park on Main Street. And he'd get out and sit on the fender. And as they'd come to, to either go in the post office or uh, to go in the frontier, uh, then they'd stop and talk. Well, that's really where he got to know the people and get, got a lot of information. Uh, he was always on the fender of the car. They'd stop by and say hi, or he'd say, hi, how you doing? You know, you can get a lot of information from people that have it, but they won't call and tell you what it is. It was 2.45 a.m. on Saturday morning, April 30th. Chief Clausen was parked in his squad car on Main Street. Kathy was there visiting with him. That particular night, yeah, I never got a chance to talk to him because he was gone when I would get home from work. And then when he would come home, you know, he had to get some rest and he wouldn't sit and talk about things. I had run down there to talk to him and I was parked on Main Street. While they were sitting there talking, they saw a speeding car traveling north on Center Avenue and saw it go through the intersection without stopping at the stop sign. The car continued northbound at a high rate of speed, and then at Highway 30, it turned east. Doug took off after the car, activating his lights and siren, and attempted to do a traffic stop on the car on Highway 30. The vehicle continued speeding out of town, and the pursuit was on. Just over two miles into the pursuit, Doug reported seeing the driver slumped over the wheel. The suspect vehicle then left the roadway and down into the ditch. Doug radioed Dodge County Dispatch and requested assistance from the Sheriff's Office. He also requested an ambulance from the Dodge Center Ambulance Service. At this point, he wasn't sure if he had a drunk driver. He wasn't sure if there were injuries. He didn't know what he was going to find. Doug stopped in the roadway and ran down to the vehicle. When he got to the vehicle, he found a woman who was later identified as someone from the Twin Cities area who is now living in Dodge County. She was in Hayfield with her boyfriend, and apparently they'd been in some kind of a domestic disturbance that night. The woman was unconscious, slumped over the steering wheel. She was barely coming in and out of consciousness and had very shallow breathing and a weak pulse. Because there was no odor of alcohol, Doug suspected she was overdosing on drugs. Now, he was concerned for her welfare, that she was in medical distress, and he pulled her out of the car and he started carrying her back to his squad. 
At this point, he was just concerned for her welfare, not knowing what drug she'd taken or how bad her overdose was. While carrying her back to his squad, she woke up. She was combative. She started violently kicking Doug and at one point striking him alongside his head, snapping his neck. The blow to the side of his neck took Doug to his knees from the pain and the woman went into a rage. She started to struggle for Doug's gun, shouting, kill, kill, kill. Then, as quickly as she woke up, she went unconscious again. With all he had in him to make sure she never got that gun, would run with it, or how many would be dead if she ever got it. While it was never revealed what drugs she'd been using, the use of PCP peaked in the United States back in the 1970s. Fencyclidine was also known as angel dust, and it was popular for its mind-altering effects. It may cause hallucinations, violent behavior, and sometimes superhuman strength and an incredible tolerance for pain. In spite of his own injuries, Doug knew he needed to get this woman help. He needed to get her back to the road where the ambulance would respond to. The remainder of the way, he carried her and then dragged her to get her back to his squad. Doug finally got her to his squad and found the back doors were still locked, so he was able to get her into the front seat of his squad. That part of the roadway on Highway 30 where he'd stopped had a very narrow shoulder and his squad had been left partially in the lane of traffic with the lights flashing. While he was moving his squad further off the roadway for safety, she woke up and became violent again. Doug grabbed her by the arm and then she attempted to jump out of the squad car. She got out the door and she started running. Doug jumped out of his squad and chased her, catching her a short distance from the squad and then walked her back to the car. As they were just coming out of the ditch again walking back to the squad, Dodge County Deputy Butch Peterson arrived to assist. With the help of Deputy Peterson, Doug got the woman into the back seat of the squad car again until the Dodge Center ambulance crew could arrive on scene to assist. Once the ambulance arrived, it took every one of them to get her into the ambulance due to her violent outbursts. In the ambulance, they used restraints to secure to the cot for her safety and the safety of the crew trying to help her. The Dodge Center Ambulance Service transported her to St. Mary's Hospital in Rochester for treatment, and in the end, she was never charged for this incident. It was now 4 a.m. Doug returned to Hayfield and advised the Dodge County Dispatch that he would be out of service for the night. On July 1st, with Doug's help, the city of Hayfield disbanded the police department and contracted with the Dodge County Sheriff's Office. Chief Clausen was now hired by Sheriff Vanderhyde, and he was now Deputy Clausen, a full-time Dodge County deputy and assigned to Hayfield as their contracted officer. Doug worked for weeks with the pain in his neck from the assault. Over the next several weeks, they went to many doctors to try and get some answers, but technology was limited back then, and they, they kept missing his true injury. Doug initially was treated by a chiropractor for his pain, and then he was eventually diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Eventually, they told him he had Lou Gehrig's disease and that he would be paralyzed in six months, and... He would choke to death before the end of the year. Due to the severity of the diagnosis, doctors said it wouldn't be long before Kathy would have to provide all of Doug's care. 
Concerned that she wouldn't be able to lift or move him, it was suggested that their oldest son, Bill, be allowed to be honorably discharged from the Army to help with Doug's care at home. I called Bill to get him out of the service because they said, you're not going to be able to lift him. And Mark was, you know, so slender and short at the time. He hadn't gotten his height yet. And Bill was in the service, and they had me call Bill and have him discharged from the Army. They told me, with this Luke Erickson, you're going to need somebody that can help you move him before he passes away. The family, they knew that something was obviously very wrong, but they knew it came from the fight, from the altercation with the woman in the field, and they never believed Doug had ALS. And, and we knew that wasn't the truth, that he had disease, because having witnessed what had taken place, but... How can you argue with the doctors? Because there was about 10 of them around that had it all lined up and told them that this is what you got and this is what's going to happen to you. Then they were trying to deal with that. And at that point in time, they told them, you've got got a year to live, six months, you're going to be paralyzed, and you'll probably just choke to death in your sleep. And that's kind of when I found out about it, that it was, you know, they, they debated on whether or not they should let me no and then you know dad's like you can't do that to her and have her be all of a sudden that i'm just gone it wasn't until later when a friend of kathy's told her about a machine up at abbott northwestern hospital in the cities that's where they would learn the truth she was telling me that uh she had gone to abbott and they had a cat scan up there but when they did that test up there they found out that inside the spinal cord, from the blow he got at the neck, that was hemorrhaging. And when the hemorrhaging, uh, as it kept going, scar tissue started to form. And then eventually that got so he couldn't really do anything with it. The doctors at Abbott found the presence of a traumatic lesion on the cervical spine, which accounted for his increasing neurological impairment and progressive paralysis. As a result of Doug's injuries, his physical condition progressively degenerated to the point where he could no longer perform his duties as a deputy sheriff. He reluctantly resigned from the Dodge County Sheriff's Office in March of 1978. Doug's career in law enforcement was over. Even though Doug needed regular care, he wanted Kathy to keep working. He knew she loved her job, and he didn't want to lose the connection with his law enforcement family, with the deputies who worked in the Dodge County Sheriff's Office. You know, just like the walking stuff became, you know, harder for him. He just kind of like, I don't know if you want to say, got like kind of more weak in the knees, I guess. And then as they started to doctor and that's where they discovered all of the nerve damage where everything had been kind of crushed and then that started leading to you know that the arms and the hands and you know that stuff went pretty rapid because I'm sure that you know the the way that those nerves were damaged they weren't you know they weren't able to operate the arms so the the right side I mean that went pretty much completely useless that's year and a half maybe year that 
he always said it was just kind of there for decoration. For years after he was forced to retire from law enforcement, Doug still continued to support the local deputies with the sheriff's office, always leaving his light on and the door open in Hayfield for any and all deputies to stop in and take a break. You see, the spinal cord injury affected his ability to breathe. Due to his injuries from the fight, his diaphragm was also paralyzed. And I slept on the couch for 11 years. So I'd be there because our bedroom was downstairs and I couldn't hear him. And if he couldn't get to the phone, then I wouldn't know, you know. And we did find out later on where he'd been kicked in the stomach that the diaphragm, which does your breathing, was paralyzed. And I asked the doctor, I says, well, how do you breathe? Because that makes your lungs go up and down because the stomach takes over. Without his diaphragm functioning properly, Doug couldn't fully inflate his lungs. So his body was compensating using his stomach to help him breathe. Doug would have to sleep sitting upright in his chair in the living room each night, which is why he would often be up all hours of the night ready to visit with any of the deputies who needed a break. Kathy was also always by his side if he needed her, and their door was always open. The, the door was open 24-7, basically. If you wanted to stop for a break, you just stopped for a break, and you, you shot the breeze, and, and uh, we talked about a lot of different things. And At first, he was able to walk and everything, but you know it, it, it got continually worse. They always left that porch light on, and, and I think it was just pretty much common knowledge that you know, when you get down to Hayfield, you're going through town, stop by and see Doug. They love to have a company. You know, you'd, you'd stop by and knock on the door, you'd get invited in. And it didn't make any difference, you know, if it was midnight or whatever, but always had the coffee pot on, always had cookies, some ice cream once in a while, popcorn, anything, you know. It's, it was just a, just an awesome place to stop and take a quick break, you know, because Doug always uh, wanted to get kind of updated on, you know, what was going on around the county. There was nothing open after 8 o'clock in any of the towns. They couldn't stop yet. Coffee, food, nothing. So, you know, they'd always come in because they knew we had the scanner on, and they came right upstairs with their boots on so they could get out the door immediately, and they'd stop and have a cup of coffee take an ice cream or something, you know, at their 15-minute break. Doug was the type of person who would never look for recognition for his service or his sacrifice, and he never complained to anyone about his condition. Friends and family would tell you you always knew where his position was. There was no sugarcoating with Doug. He never sugarcoated anything, and you always knew where he stood on an issue. And, uh, you know, it didn't, he'd speak his mind. He was so blunt, he'd speak his mind if it uh, upset somebody or offended somebody, you know, so be it. Kathy was also one to never complain about their circumstances. She continued to work for the sheriff's office to support their family of three and to take care of Doug. Mark, Jean, and Bill also helped with Doug's care. Simple daily things like getting up in the morning, getting dressed, help in the bathroom, moving around in and out of the house. He needed help with everything. Doug was also always coming up with projects and ideas for contraptions that would make things easier for him at the house. And he would work in their garage, instructing his kids on how to build, fix, or put together ideas after school. He even had his daughter, Jean, working on cars. He had to 
teach me what even like you know crescent wrenches and those kind of things were because I didn't know I'm just a girl and I didn't care about tools but I learned too and he he's always adamant that he's like you are going to know how to change a tire you're going to know how to change your oil and you know different things like that and put jumper cables on because you don't need to be that whole damsel in distress thing you're going to know how to do this stuff and it was adamant that he wanted to make sure that I could kind of then I sort of take care of myself as far as you know that kind of stuff and I was trying to change the oil and I was on the creeper thing you know scooching under there while it ran over my hair got my hair stuck he's like this could be so much easier <laughs> my hair is in the creeper wheel and he's just like oh my <laughs> this family always kept their great sense of humor in spite of how difficult things had become you know, one night he kind of got caught or just sat down on the step and, you know, trying to get him lifted up so he could get up around the corner. And I started laughing. We started laughing. He says, the help you get these days is awful. Some would argue law enforcement is in your blood. It's a calling. That was the case for both Kathy and Doug. You see, while Doug was serving the community on the street, Kathy was serving inside the walls of the sheriff's office. She would continue to work for the sheriff's office for years in dispatch administration, records, booking as the dispatch supervisor, and in 2008 as the administrative assistant and director of the 911 PSAP Center. In the middle of all this, when the family was struggling to take care of Doug and keep things going, the family continued to give and Doug continued to make a difference, even taking in a troubled foster kid into their home. You know, we had a we had a foster kid, but I actually brought him home from the boys' ranch because he was such a great kid. His mom was a train wreck. And, you know, it's like she'd send him back with a carton of cigarettes and he'd sell them to kids in the in the unit and then um she'd take the money from him. Like, you are a bad, bad mom. <laughs> And I'm like, he's going to go right back to his old ways if you don't, if he doesn't, something doesn't happen for him. And I told Roger Hansen, I'm like, he's such a great kid. I just want to take him home with me. And he's like, huh. So he called my mom and dad and said, hey, would you guys want to be foster parents? I'm like, oh boy, I really did bring him home with me. Yeah, so he, uh, he came and lived with us then. Good kid. He's a good, good kid now. He's got a great job and dad and yeah. He's like, he like, completely changed my life. The simple act of helping others, of putting others first, that's part of what kept Doug going for so long. Even with everything that was going on in his life, I mean, that's how he helped manage some of the pain was just by people. Loved, loved, loved people. And I think that's probably why I love being an officer so much because it's like you're, you're out there and you're every kind of people doesn't matter if you're, you know, rich, poor, black, white, you know, it doesn't matter. You're everybody at some point in time either needs an officer or whatever. So it's, I think that's probably another part of it, too, is that, you know, he was very social. So I got to keep him social. Over the years, Doug's condition continued to deteriorate. And on March 13th, 1999, Doug died of complications from the injuries he sustained during the incident in 1977. At the time of his injury in 1977, his daughter Jean was nine, Mark was 14, 
and Bill was 19. Upon his death in 1999, he was survived by his wife Kathy and now three adult children. Doug died two weeks before his grandson DJ was born. Kathy would continue to serve the Dodge County Sheriff's Office after Doug died. Gary Thompson retired as Sheriff of Dodge County in 2009 and worked with Kathy his entire career. I've never seen a person that's more dedicated to an office than Kathy. She knew everything that was going on. If you uh, had a question about something that happened 10, 15 years ago, she'd have an answer for you that day. There's another one that absolutely, absolutely loved her job. I think she's she was just very, very good at her job because she cared about it so much. We were going through, it was like a bank or something, and this, this lady was inside, this gal was inside working, and she looked and she saw my mom, and she started crying. And I'm like, the heck? And she's like, oh my gosh, you are the nicest lady I have ever met. And her boyfriend, husband, or whatever was getting fingerprinted, and... You know, it was just kind of a bad choice type scenario. And and she must have made some sort of comment to him that, you know what, there's brighter days ahead and things will get better. And, and she's like, we're doing so much better. And you were so nice to us. And that was like the worst day ever. And, you know, it was just like she made such a personal connection with her through just through fingerprinting and everything that she just kind of made like a bad situation better. She was a very dedicated employee always was. She put in more than her 40 hours a week, I can tell you that. She was a hard-working lady. Another time we're in Walmart and this guy, I mean, he is a scary, scary-looking dude. Tattoos all the way up his neck onto his face and I'm just like, trying to act normal, they're just tattoos, act normal and he kept walking towards us and I'm like, act normal, act normal, you know, and he came over and he's like, do you remember me? And she goes, oh yes, I do. And he goes, you know, he goes, you told me that I had a choice and that, you know what, today is just a day and tomorrow is a new day and I can choose to follow this path or I can choose to make a difference in my life and turn myself around. And he says, I did. He goes, I got a good job now. And he goes, I even get to see my kids now. And he goes, you told me that day I could make that choice. And I chose to follow what you said. And he goes, I'm doing really good now. And he goes, that's all because of you. Twelve years after Doug died, with a total of 37 years of service, Kathy retired in 2011 at the age of 78. Doug served our country in the Marine Corps before he worked for the Claremont Police Department, the Hayfield Police Department, and then the Dodge County Sheriff's Office. Kathy served her entire career at Dodge County under six different sheriffs. Jean, Doug's daughter, was the first ever female posse member with the Dodge County Sheriff's Posse. She now works in county administration. Their two sons also stayed in the area, and Kathy's family has always been there around her. You know, he had a fantastic family. Kathy and those kids were, they were tight, and you know, it's just, they did what real close families do. They took care of him. Kathy explained Doug's death was finally determined to be a line of duty death with the state of Minnesota, and they had to fight to get the benefits from the federal government, eventually winning it with an appeal. So the Clausen family would receive the state and federal line of duty death benefit. 
But Doug was never recognized locally or nationally for his service and sacrifice until 2017, when his name was finally added to the Minnesota State Law Enforcement Memorial. Then, Doug's name was formally dedicated on May 13, 2017, at the 29th Annual Candlelight Vigil during National Police Week in Washington, D.C. But you know, when we went out to D.C., that candlelight ceremony, that was like, I can't even put into words what that felt like. And I honestly just felt like that was like the biggest release for me. Because I think growing up, because nothing ever really happened with it, like nobody really knew his story because he didn't talk about it. He never wanted to be that he was complaining because he said, you complain, people go away. And so we never talked about like all of the, the bad stuff. You know, the times where it was like, you know, he, he couldn't get out of a chair. So we just, we literally had to hoist him out and to try to get him into like the bathroom or just to help him get dressed and all of that stuff that you had to do every day that you just had to do it. And, you know, out there in D.C., it was like, I just finally felt like it was okay to just, I didn't have to hold all of that stuff in anymore. Because I think it really ate away at me for a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of years. Because it was almost like it had to be a secret because nobody ever talked about it. And that was just, that was like the most, I don't even know. It was just this, this great release. I mean, it, it's never going to be gone, but I, I just felt he was finally okay. The Clausen family lived and sacrificed every day while Doug served Hayfield and served the County of Dodge. Sacrifices the family made in order to do their part to help keep our community safe. Then, Doug was injured, and the Clausen family again lived and sacrificed for years with the debilitating effects of his spinal cord injury until he passed away in 1999. For fallen officers' families, their sacrifice never ends. As a society, it's always so important that we honor all fallen officers for their service to our communities and to recognize their families for their sacrifice. That's why memorial sites are so important. We need to be there to support the families of the fallen. We need to make sure that they know the appreciation we have for them and that we will always be there for them. Chief Douglas Eugene Clausen is now recognized each year during Police Week at the State Memorial Program in St. Paul by the Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial Association and in Southeast Minnesota each year by the Law Enforcement Memorial Foundation of Southeast Minnesota. The foundation is currently raising funds to build the first Southeast Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial in Rochester to honor and remember Doug and over 30 other fallen heroes in Southeast Minnesota. If you're interested in supporting the Clausen family and would like to donate to the construction and maintenance of this new memorial, you can find out more information on the foundation's website at www.lawenforcementmemorial.com. Thank you for spending the time to listen, learn about, and honor the memory of this fallen hero. Make sure you take the time to thank your local law enforcement for their service and for their sacrifice. Don't forget to thank their families too. They give up so much for our safety as well. It's up to us to help ensure the sacrifices made by these fallen heroes and by their families are never forgotten. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. Let's show these law enforcement officers and families our support.
Until next time, this is the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. I'm Scott Rose. Thanks for listening.